Weekday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good afternoon and welcome to Market View. I'm Clarissa Montero together with my co-host, JP Ong, who isn't going to be here tomorrow. That is true. Because you are skedaddling off. So you're selling in May and going away, are you? That, that, that is true. At least, <laughs> but I waited till the end of May at least before going away. And I will be back. It'll be a very quick trip, actually. Mm-hmm. Quick trip, just another extended long weekend. But Monday, I'll be back and ready to face the month of June. And yeah. what wonders will June hold for us? Uh, you know, that's something that I'm going to wait <laughs> for, for the weekend. Uh, uh, because I think at the moment, the thing that markets really have to do is just digest the forgettable month of May. And really, I mean, we have said that we've, we've questioned whether the adage of sell and make and go away uh, holds. But it seems that given their losses so far, uh, that this could, be a, this, this could be a reality. You're seeing that the, S, the Straits Times Index, since the start of this month alone, is down about 262 points, mm-hmm. roughly, as we speak. It's at 3,138 points at the moment. So you're seeing that decline. Have they wiped out gains for the second quarter? That's a pretty safe bet. And now the question is, how much will this eat more into those year-to-date gains? We started out the year at 3,068. So we are about, uh, we're, we're coming close to that level, to be honest. I mean, we're about 70 points away from that at the moment. Mm-hmm. So they're hanging on by a thread when you talk about these gains so far. Looking at uh, total value turnover, about 521 million Singapore dollars, a bit better than we've seen in recent uh, in recent days. Uh, but it is supporting the sell-off at the moment. Even some of the second and third liners, they're not doing that well so far in Singapore. About 189 losers against 112 gainers so far as we head into the afternoon session. If you want to take a look at who's gaining and who's losing on the Straits Times Index, Singtel is standing out. They're mm-hmm. hanging in there. The country's largest telco is up by 0.3%. So if you're, and they're also the most heavily traded stock. Is this a flight to safety? And could a telco be actually seen as a bit of a flight to safety? One thing that's uh, interesting also with regards to some of the issues with regards to 5G and the tech war that we're mm-hmm. seeing, especially with the possible ban of Huawei, is uh, apparently it will affect most people who don't build standalone 5G networks. Now, mm-hmm. according to Sachin Mittal of DBS, he said that the one thing about Singapore also is that they're pushing uh, for these telcos to build out standalone 5G networks already. You might as well get it all one and done. Going to be more expensive, but get it all out of the way. And perhaps uh, perhaps this could actually see the likes of Singtel and some of the telcos actually isolated or a little bit more isolated mm-hmm. from the trade war. Perhaps this seeing a bit of uh, maybe investors trying to flock to them, but they're definitely not going to the banks. UOB and OCBC are both down by about 1% so far today. DBS, not too far behind in terms of intraday losses. The stock is down to about $24.64. DBS shares have lost about $0.21 cents in today's session alone. Capital Land also down by about 1.2%. And the story is pretty much the same across uh, Asia. Most markets are in the red except for Korea at the moment. Why is Korea standing out and going another way? Well, that's... Uh, well, I have to take a quick a closer look at how the, why the KOSPI is going the other way, but I do have one theory. Mm-hmm. On the STI, we have DBS as the most heavily weighted stock. In Korea, the most heavily weighted stock, or one of the most heavily weighted stocks, is Samsung Electronics. Today, we're seeing Samsung actually trending higher. higher 1.8%. Uh, they're up to about 42,550 Korean won. So perhaps they're actually helping keep the, the cost be afloat, uh, or, or one of the reasons why that's happening. And keep in mind that if Huawei continues to feel these pressures, you're going to have to find a phone maker who is not on the U.S. side and, and subject to potential threats of bans and restrictions from China's right. retaliation, or, and don't look at Chinese phones because, you know, Huawei's get feeling the heat right now, but who's to say that Xiaomi, Oppo, Vivo, these guys might not feel the, the pain, sure, the burn sure. down the road? So, so who safer. do you fly to? Yep. You might as well flock to Samsung Electronics. 
electronics at the moment because sure. uh, unless they are made to choose by either China or the U.S. because again they are geographically and also commercially in between both of these countries and they both uh, and they're important uh, linkages or parts of the supply chain, the global supply chain, and also an important center. They do supply a lot of chips, both to Huawei and also a lot of components to Apple, Samsung. So again, if we start to see some of these tensions manifest themselves, um, yes, there are opportunities for Samsung to take some of this market share. But uh, as a supplier, uh, as a supplier for for components of these two major phone makers, they could see some uh, some headwinds there. So how Samsung manages that and also manages the slowing growth in demand for smartphones around the world is something we're going to have to watch out for. But whatever is bad for Huawei might be seen as uh, as uh, as opening windows of. opportunity for Samsung. And maybe, just maybe that's why the stock is trading a little bit higher so far today. All right. Okay. Well, before we go into some of the other news in uh, the markets for Singapore today, I'm just curious, what are Pfizer pharmaceutical stocks looking like? Well, We'll have to, we will have to wait. For, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals is traded in the U.S., so we'll have to wait until the pre well, open. How did they close yesterday? Well, they closed down by about 0.4%. What I will give you at the moment is that Pfizer shares are down by about 0.1% so far. And uh, yeah, so they're, they're feeling a little bit of, uh, I guess, selling pressure on Pfizer at the moment. So. Well, the reason I ask is with all this depression and all these you know, slumps in markets and everything, I would think that the sale of Xanax would be going up. It might be uh, that that is a possibility. But it's not reflected. It's in not reflected. But here's, but, yeah. But I think what what we'll have to watch out for with healthcare, especially pharmaceutical companies in the U.S., is this big case that's happening with regards to the opioid pharmaceuticals. Right. So right now, Johnson and Johnson is now the next one in the firing line. There is a very heated and contentious uh, court case right now in Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. for for Johnson Johnson be, being accused of being one of these companies that is pushing opioid ph- pharmaceuticals and perhaps also being responsible. At least the, that's. what the allegations are, being partly responsible for driving what's being called an opioid crisis in the U.S. So we'll have to watch out for how that involves. But the question, of course, is it was Johnson Johnson today. I think it was Teva Pharmaceuticals the other day. But there's been about three or four that have already been implicated in succession. So who's next? Is Pfizer one of those? Does Pfizer even participate in opioid pharmaceuticals also? That's a question. But I think until we start to see some, uh, I guess, some clearance with regards to Johnson Johnson, you Mm. might see investors in the pharma space in the U.S. just perhaps just staying on the sidelines and saying, is it safe to get come back into the water? Because these are not cheap stocks. These are not cheap stocks at all. And uh, again, they do stand to benefit from uh, aging populations around the world, also rising healthcare costs in the U.S. Traders in Singapore. Traders in (laughs) Singapore as well. So, yeah, it's a fair question to ask also. But uh, again, I think this is one of those regulatory headwinds or clouds that are that's being cast on the broader pharma space at the moment. All right. So let's get back to what's been in the news today. The UOBCO is looking at Southeast Asia. Yes. That's, that how he, that's his haven. Yes, according to Wee Chung. I get this again is uh, quite consistent with UOB's play at the moment, right? It, they, it is their we, strategy. We, we have talked yeah. about this before, yeah. how they, they have a slightly divergent play from OCBC, which is trying to deepen, OCBC trying to deepen their presence in the Pearl River Delta, mm-hmm. where, where we're seeing the, the greater Bay Area build out in China, saying this is where we're going to find opportunities. While UOB is saying, nope, I think what's going to happen right now is you're going to see a lot of these flows into the ASEAN region because of uh, companies and industries trying to diversify away from the risks of staying in China, and we're going to try to stay in ASEAN. And so Wee Chung, the CEO, has reiterated again at an interview at UOB's headquarters that ASEAN will become a safe haven because of these reasons, because you're going to see a lot of these uh, 
a lot of these companies try to distance themselves from the approach of its two main rivals. It's kind of similar to, what the, to the whole Samsung play, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to find someone who might be insulated or might benefit from uh, what might be a lose-lose situation if that does happen. Many people have said nobody wins in the trade war, U.S. or China. So you oh, might as well look at Somebody always these... wins. Well, somebody always wins, but it might not be either of the two main players. So right. UOB's bet is that, uh, is that the ASEAN region over in a net sum basis will become a safe haven mm-hmm. for some of these headwinds also. He's also said that they're taking a distinct path from their, uh, path from their larger Singaporean rivals. Uh, and, and they're saying that, uh, that they are going to focus on the ASEAN space at the moment. UOB had a pretty decent first quarter as well. Most yes, of the banks stood did. out. Yep. And they did also, they were one of the first banks in Singapore to report that, you know what, our trading incomes actually got better. So again, if you're looking out for something, uh, for how UOB performed in what's been a rather volatile second quarter mm-hmm. and see if these trading income incomes can be sustained later on. That's something we'll watch out for when they release their next earnings report in the next couple of months. Uh, EOB is definitely doubling down at least on Southeast, on, on Southeast Asia, and they say that they're not, but they aren't shutting China entirely, but they are favoring the ASEAN space. Well, they got to put their eggs in more than one basket That now. is true. However, I, will, I do want to bring up that EOB has been on a bit of a losing streak. They did show signs of recovering towards the tail end of last week, but I think over the last three days, we've actually seen UOB stock down. They're even arguably one of the worst performing stocks among the big three over the course of the last three or four trading days. So uh, it seems that traders, at least in the financial sector here, may be shying away from UOB and favoring the likes of DBS and OECBs at the moment. But again, this is all sentiment driven and it could mm-hmm. change. And we'll see if, uh, if uh, EOB CEO actually wins, actually is rewarded for his stance that says, you know what, ASEAN's going to probably take benefit because of a flight to safe havens. Perhaps he's also referencing the fact that Singapore is also seen as a bit of a safe haven because of the predictability and the stability of dividend yields that most Singaporean stocks tend to uh, tend to maintain for the most part, especially when you compare it to some of the other peers in Southeast Asia and greater Asia as well. Right. Okay. Now, Dairy Farm International is something that we've been talking about quite a lot. In fact, it's factored in our conversations a lot last week. Yes, that's true. And, uh, you know, people might say that I focus so much on the best performer type beverage all the time. No, I also look at the runt of the litter. Mm -hmm. And this year, Dairy Farm has been one of the... (laughs) Hey, hey, I mean, the the numbers don't lie. The stock has seen a lot of losses over the course of this year. But mind you, we also point out Dairy Farm has had a rather strong last couple of years. So perhaps Mm -hmm. we're seeing... As Jeff Howey has mentioned before on the show, there's been a bit of rotation outside of Dairy Farm. Yeah. And, uh, and, but there, there are a few things that continue to weigh on Dairy Farm's uh, bottom line. So RHB has actually downgraded the recommendation on Dairy Farm once again to neutral. So they're still not getting love from some of the analysts at the moment. The target price for Dairy Farm is at $8.25. And they're saying it's because of subsequent price corrections brought about by uncertainties on the U.S.-China trade front. They do... Uh, they do have admitted that uh, Dairy Farms' comp- health and beauty segment, apparently the, the milkmakers are also into health and beauty, they've delivered rather stellar results, but they think that the segment could slow, see slower growth if consumer sentiment worsens. Again, it's not just the U.S.-China trade war. If we start to see global growth start to slow down, you could see consumer sentiment, consumer pickup actually slow down. And this could affect the likes of Dairy Farm, at least according to RHB's analyst Juliana Tsai in that recent report. And if these trade tensions worsen, you could 
could see some of their associate companies actually get hit. For instance, they are controlling investor in Shanghai's uh, hypermarket and supermarket Yonghui Superstores. Uh, and, uh, and if they see the yuan depreciate or even mm-hmm. cross that seven to the U.S. dollar level, it could affect their contribution to earnings because they earn in, our, in renminbi. But re- remember that the dairy farm reports in U.S. dollars. Right. So uh, they could see some forex hits on that particular front. Just on this, the back of that. Just on the back of that also. And uh, and also, uh, some, I guess some of the things they're banking on right now are one-off, some one-off growth arising from the full-year contribution of, of Yonghee. They're also looking at the initial contributions of their associate in the Philippines, Robertson's Retail, which, uh, which, which they've taken a significant stake in. That's a strong consumer story that mm-hmm. could play into dairy farms uh, a positive or benefit. But overall, there's still a lot of questions to be asked about dairy farm, especially with regards to the weakening yuan that might affect some of their affiliates in China and also the outlook of consumer sentiment. Because if consumers start to tighten their belts, you could see consumer stocks like dairy farm actually take on a bit of a hit. Because can we also argue that they do have a significant amount of their portfolio in consumer discretionary products. Right. So. Well, they, they, were, they factored a lot in our conversations over the last few days into last week. Someone who hasn't factored in our conversation at all for weeks now is High Flux. Yes, that is true. That's going to change just about right now. Yes. Well, <laughs> yes. And, uh, and, if you, if you, and it seems that High Flux is making some inroads. We'll have to give them credit. They are making some inroads in trying to rescue the firm and trying to find a way to, to inject fresh capital into them. And High Flux has actually said that they are in talks with, guess what, seven different parties at right now for a potential cash infusion. So they're dating a few people. They're, they're, they are basically speed dating at the moment. <laughs> and uh, this is, uh, it's, it's sort of, it, it kind of resembles the bachelorette of some sorts. But they're looking for a term sheet to agree on for a potential cash infusion. So Utico is apparently not the only one in the mm-hmm. mix, which is probably why High Flux said the other day that, hey, you know what, this proposal of a, of a 50% cash redemption for some of our embattled shareholders who uh, it's still under it's still un, uh, under negotiation we haven't agreed to anything with Utico yet and this is because they're on talks with seven other parties for one uh, we we've mentioned this before perhaps worth mentioning again that they've also been in talks with the likes of Oyster Bay Fund for a possible 500 million Singapore dollar investment um, they're also apparently talking to a particular firm in the Middle East I don't think it's uh, Utico but apparently there is a non-binding letter of interest to acquire some of their assets in Algeria Oman the North African region and also the greater Middle East area that way they could at least get get some of these assets off of their balance sheet mm-hmm. perhaps get some much needed capital to help streamline and solidify the, the company. They're also talking about a large player in, in the power sector in Asia, possibly looking at a possible merger with Highflux. So again, I can go down the entire list. This, the, the full article is on the Business Times today, but you can take a look at the, at the whole list. And apparently, Highflux said that they'll probably pick a new suitor in June. So why have they been a bit more confident moving forward? Well, it's because the courts have given them a moratorium or an extension on getting their house in order. It's not the full four months that they were asking for. Sure. The, the court said, you know, four months is a little too much time. You might dilly-dally around. We're going to give you two months, and we'll review again at the end of those two months if you're going to need a little bit more time to get your, your, right. your affairs in order at the moment and try to figure out a way to get some of this cash in. But Highflux uh, is not short of suitors, it seems, if the report can be believed that there are seven people or seven entities that are in line to potentially save Highflux. And one of the other questions is – another question is also, well – can you maybe get multiple suitors? Because, you know, maybe this is not an exclusive relationship. Well, clearly, they're, they're exploring all their options, <laughs> mm-hmm. including that one. Yeah.
Okay, I just want to make sure that our, our listeners understand that there is no market view wrap for tomorrow because we're all selling in May and going away until next week. <laughs> yeah. But for the rest of today. Mm. <laughs> I tell you guys, just lock it in. This is going to be a day of law. This is going to be a May. Is, it's now the worst month. It's not going to end on a high note either. Uh, well, I, I will say that there is a possibility you might see some bargain hunters and window dressers come in, mm-hmm. May, but not today. I think it might happen tomorrow. But even then, it's probably going to be a blip, if anything else. I'm just tr- grasping for straws here. I'm just grasping for any possible reasons to be optimistic heading into the last trading day of, uh, of May for, to- for, for Friday's session. But generally, it doesn't look like uh, the sentiment's going to resolve itself and really... A lot of this whole decline in global stocks, which has also hit the Dow, Joe, the mm-hmm. uh, U.S. markets. Mm-hmm. We saw the Dow last night fall by about 400 points at one yep. at, 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 at a certain period during the session over in Wall Street. It doesn't seem like it's going to improve anytime soon. And really, you can trace it back again to the escalation of these tensions in the trade war that is now morphing into a tech war. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, interesting if uh, you're on the sidelines watching, but if you got some money skin in the game. Um, Xanax is all I have to say. Um, I, I might just, I might just say, I might say a beard, a cold beard does does the trick too. But uh, okay, I mean, everyone's got their own poison, right? Everyone's got their own poison. Okay, so what do you have for us on prime time today? So today on prime time, we are actually going. So we, when we talk about the trade war, we think we talk about what what Chinese investors are thinking, what mm-hmm. U.S. investors are thinking. We don't really talk about another big trading uh, block in the world, and that's Europe. Mm-hmm. We haven't really talked too much to them about how this is impacting stocks. We've seen markets in Europe actually take a take a bit of a tumble, especially with that uh, with the results of the European parliamentary elections mm-hmm. when we saw these the, the uh, pro EU uh, coalitions actually see their their dominant position weakened because of these nationalist and populist parties across Europe, Italy, France, the UK. Yes, yes the UK is apparently still part it's, of the European yeah. Union. But apparently the bro-Brexit parties have taken a majority of, their, of the UK seats in a very happy Nigel the EU Farage. parliament. A very happy win for Nigel Farage. So how is that impacting sentiment in Europe? There's a, and there's also that big potential merger that in the auto sector, Fiat Chrysler courting mm-hmm, Renault mm-hmm. and saying, hey, we'd like to get in bed with you. And, uh, and so we'll be speaking to Peter Lundgren of Lundgren's Capital in Copenhagen uh, later on about five o'clock mm-hmm. to get to get a closer a closer take, a take from someone who's closer to to what's going on in European markets and how European investors are viewing this entire trade war. Keep in mind, they're also gearing up for trade talks with with the U.S. and and negotiators from the EU have already said, look, we're going to oppose any potential quotas that you're going to impose on European cars and we're going to and we're going to stand firm on some of our demands. There is a line in the sand. Again, does that mean that the trade tensions between the US and EU have heightened or is this just them stating stating the ground rules at the moment? So there's a bit to parse through and we'll we'll see how, what Europe thinks about all of these developments in global markets later on. Well, that's what you can expect with JP on primetime later today. This has been Market View. I'm Teres Monter with JP Yong on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.